So, just a fair warning before we begin, I'm incredibly stoned right now. <laughs> but there's like a backstory, or no, there's not. Yeah, yeah, this is going to be one of those podcasts. So, just warning you now, um, and then, there we go. Okay, so I had originally recorded this episode earlier this morning. Um, it was like about 35, 40 minutes long, and then I just wasn't happy with it and I was stressed and so I just deleted it and I just figured I'll get to it later not a big deal got through my day day was a bit wonky and so yeah then I decided oh well I should have pot and then I had pot and then I was like oh I have an episode to record so here we are together at last I know so exciting um I just put out episode two the read through so there's that. I hope you liked it. Um, I think both episodes, episode one and two, obviously it's not as professional or polished as one would hope for, I guess. I I went back and forth a lot on how polished I wanted it to be. Um, and I think that ties into like part of my frustration this morning and just everything is that there's a difference between creating the project, outlining and starting to set it up, and then filling in all the blanks and details, and then polishing it. Like I said, I'm stoned. (laughs) And I just feel like my life, all of my projects, it's always, I've always felt like it was never a hundred percent polished and I could never really figure out why it's like an emotional thing almost like I think the closest I got was the everyone dies eventually album which is like now time has passed because that album came out right before the pandemic (laughs) um it is one of my favorite works that I've ever created. I think it is the most representative of who I am as an artist. And it took a long time for me to finally truly appreciate that. Um, I think anyone else that has created any type of work probably has that same feeling where you get so addicted to the process, it is its own lifestyle. And then you finish it or you think you're finished and you put it out there. And then after you put it out there, you start to second guess yourself. Oh, I could have done like three more passes or, Oh, I should have reordered the album. Like there's always like a million and one things that will go through your mind and just make you second guess. And I always felt like at some point, I would hope I would be able to create something that would at least I'd be done with it. And and those feelings would probably still be somewhat present, but they would be minimal that I think (laughs) there's two tangential themes going on in my head and I'm trying to, (laughs) (laughs) not like hopscotch around um but 
I feel like I finish a project and I don't feel like it's complete. I feel like I somehow didn't 100% show what I was trying to show. Um, And because I've been thinking about that and I've also been thinking that as it pertains to this Charlie Infinite project, um, and I also have to remember that I deleted the 45-minute podcast (laughs) this morning. So it's like, oh, that's right. I didn't... There are blanks and gaps. That's fine. I I think I'm the only one listening to this and recording it. Very excited. Anyway, um, I went back and thought about Everyone Dies Eventually. Since it was like my most representative work, I am the proudest of it. And I really started to think hard about, okay, how would it have sounded if I had gone back and not released it and just still started working on it, right? And there's definitely things I see, right? I think that the Thanks for Everything track was good. I think the, um, I think the OW, the OW track, um, I think it's like everyone says OW eventually is what it got renamed, but it was originally based off a song called OW. And OW was actually a guitar singing track that I had done with um, in a singer in San Francisco years ago. And it was everyone's favorite song. Everyone absolutely loved that. And then I re-recorded it as in like with the full string quartet and everything. And it, it just, I felt like some of the percussion and stuff still needed to be tightened up. <laughs> right. It, or, right. Like, you know, but um, I just felt like there were things about the album that, yeah, I would have done differently, but on its own, it's still a representative work. I think it's definitely an acquired taste Right. And maybe that's where I'm kind of also leaning in. Like, is it an acquired taste because I can see it or experience it through my mind and I am filling in the gaps? Right. Or is it more that they, them, sorry, I might have to smoke another bowl. Oh my God. Um, Is it just, me filling in gaps that are there that need to be filled for other people or is it already complete it's just it only looks a certain way through my mind and no one else has that same vision right and usually Occam's razor the most logical is it's both right I think it's a little bit of both um but it did make me think about the gaps right and on the album everyone dies eventually to me the gaps are just there's a certain level of polish that I didn't go through because I was purposely trying to keep it a little grungy and lo-fi um but I feel like towards the end that grungy kind of like (laughs) roughness um that I tried so hard to like build and craft I think at the end of the day it does make it sound a little bit more lo-fi than I would have hoped for someone experiencing it for the first time right if it was like a true TC Crosser fan not that they exist but if it was a true TC Crosser fan, I think that they would listen to that album through probably the same prism that I see it through, and they would get the same emotional response. I think that 
other like other people though no they don't and i think that if i had polished it a little bit more and kind of removed the grunge a little bit that oh it would have been more transmissible <laughs> um and and i can support this because so i did a ep called the book of arius quite a few years ago um and it, it was it was four tracks and the irony is is the songs themselves are nothing compared to everyone dies eventually the songs on everyone dies eventually are just kind of like dynamic and just crazy and complex the book of arius the four tracks are very somber um and it's very sticks to like the string quartet format but it is way more polished way more um way more well executed at least for the final part of it right when you listen to it it's like oh this is a professional ep um and i know this because my boyfriend when he heard the book of arius when i released it he was in tears he was very emotionally connected to it which anyone that knows my boyfriend knows that that is not like that is a huge compliment when I released Everyone Dies Eventually, which to me was like the most important work I'd ever done, I don't even know if he listened to it. I mean, I think he probably tried to, but there was never really a discussion about that album. And in my mind, I think that, that it really was that professional polish at the end. That's what kind of like dinged me on that whole thing. As I said, it makes complete sense. <laughs> um, so that's where I'm segueing, right? So that's the other part. Let me, I'm going to get a little sip of my drink. Mm. I don't know if creatine is still good for you. That seems like a kind of a 90s fad for people trying to lose weight, but... It's an energy drink that has it, and it's it's quite delicious. So I can't help it. It's those those bang drinks, those bang cans, you get at the bodegas. It's just like Jesus Christ. I can't like I get one every day. I I, I don't Google if it'll kill me because I'm terrified. If I Google it, it'll be like, oh, you're already dead. <laughs> you're you're done. Sorry. And I guess then I would know that I could just keep drinking it if it's gonna die anyway. But is very good i i endorse bang potent brain and body fuel i'm currently drinking the star blast oh it's zero calories and zero carbs so i have been checking my carbs lately mm -hmm. oh okay so back i'm back sorry that was a fun little break so i'm working on charlie infinite this is my new everyone dies eventually thing and I just finished the live read through of episode two and I started reviewing because now I'm going back through what I've already written for episode three. And originally when I started this adventure of doing the live read throughs, the point was that it would still be episode one, two and three, but it would just be so super polished that by the time I got to episode three, which is right now, um, I would be very proud of myself and feel like this was a very good work of art. I didn't feel that way. <laughs> I think I love the world I've built, 
but my presentation of the world just feels, I guess it just feels boring, right? And and then I thought, well, maybe I think it's boring because it's in a novel format and like if it's in a novel format, maybe I'm just not writing it right. So I started reading other books, right? So like I read Cloud Atlas. Um, I'm too stunned to remember the other. I read other books. I even read like uh, ReZero, the, um, the, the light novel in Japan. Like I was reading other books to just understand what is it that they might have in prose that I do not, that, that makes me feel like my story is boring and, and it's not like always boring. It's just, we get into these lulls where it's like when I'm writing it and I'm reading it, it sounds like, Oh, okay. I'm like going along with it. But then as soon as I like read it out loud, I'm like, it's uh, a little dry. And then I read cloud Atlas. <laughs> I love the movie, I, but that book, <laughs> Oh my God. It's just so boring. And and even like when I started reading the light novel of ReZero, I was like, it just it didn't impact me the same way the anime did, right? And so I started to kind of stress out because I was like, well, maybe it's just I don't like novels. <laughs> I mean, I've read books. I... I, I just for some reason, it, it's hard for me to read. I, I think it's just because I'm such an audio and moving visual person or even like just visual, right? I'm an audio visual type of guy. But I just, I re- it really kind of threw me for a loop because I was like, okay, it would almost be easier if I read these like, you know, big, you know, these well-known works and I saw what it was that was missing or felt more important, more aptly put, if I felt what was missing, it would be a very different scenario. I didn't feel that kind of like mystique or adventure from reading their works. And I'm like, oh, well, what am I going to do now? Um, but then I think the, so, so that's where we're here. 15 minutes in we're in an a stoned tyler assessment of what to do with charlie infinite this is a really long intro i guess you didn't even know it was an intro because i'm stoned and i didn't know it was an intro but calling it an intro means that i can stop this smoke a bowl and come back because i'm gonna have so much more to say <laughs> And this podcast is about to, will be (laughs) about my assessment of Charlie Infinite now and what I need to do moving forward now that I'm at the point of going through and finalizing episode three. And, And there you have it. So, and... And here we go in, I'll start talking now. Or will I? I'm back. <laughs> I'm going to have such a weird experience listening to this back later. Um, yeah. Anyway. Oh, also, it completely befuddles my boyfriend that I have a day job where 
I spend all day on the phone. All day. All I do all day is talk to all of the various people that work at fashion companies and teaching them not only how to use the fucking software, but how to do their goddamn jobs. It is crazy. Like, I'm on the phone all day with these people. Like, everything from production design to sales to marketing to um, the warehouse, the shipping, the receiving. Like, yeah, I the software I work for is fucking insane. Sync Solutions. <laughs> okay, so... Yeah, but anyway, I'm on the phone all day with these people and now I'm doing a podcast because I just, I don't think I'll ever stop talking, swear to God. Um, But my boyfriend's probably happy because podcasting means that I'm not bugging him about stuff. (laughs) You could only imagine trying to date me. It would be complicated. Okay, that was my little tangent. I'm ready now. Charlie Infinite. I'm going to read it from the beginning. No, I'm joking. Um, So yeah, I feel like both episode one and two, if I'm really honest about it, I feel like there's a lot of like peaks and troughs, right? Not even valley. It's just like a trough, right? It feels like there are moments that grab my attention. Oh, and let me backtrack. So I decided to do the Charlie Infinite read-throughs, the editing or the uh, review process, very similar to how I do music. So typically with music, what I'll do is I'll get to a certain point with a track or whatever, and then I'll just go ahead and bounce it so I can listen to it on my phone. And then I'll just put on my headphones and I'll just walk around the city. Um, or like take out Mitch or something like that, right? Um, And I do that because it forces me to identify what parts keep my attention even though I'm out in the city, right? Because it's like that's how most people would experience that sort of, you know, at least the music I do. They would experience it by like hearing it in headphones and walking around because I don't think a lot of us actually just sit on a couch and play an album, Um, at least people that are almost 40 like me. Um, So I usually just do that. And I think that, and that's what I did with episode one and two. And what I found really interesting was that I found the music was a little repetitive at times. Um, but repetitive in kind of, like, I don't know, it, it, there were moments where it was like I could hear the theme and then it kept on a loop. And then I was starting to just think about when are we going to get to the next chapter because I want to get to the next section of music. Um, and then on a writing level, it just felt like there were, there were lots of parts where I just felt lost because I wasn't paying enough attention and I wasn't paying enough attention because I was just getting bored. Um, and it wasn't like bored in an, like it was, it wasn't as pronounced. It was more like I'm walking around, I'm trying to get, get, you know, cross the street And I don't have the energy to really only pay attention to what I'm hearing, right? And that's what made me realize it was like, oh, it's just, it's missing a certain edge to it that's going to keep me interested. I think that if it's something that can grab your attention and really get you, it wouldn't matter. It would kind of 
come out through the noise and it would just be present, right? And that, and that's my editing process with music is because if the track doesn't at least have a con, you know some moment or something in it that really grabs my attention and kind of like it feels like a wave goes through you like in the middle of like New York City doing whatever and this thing just kind of like makes itself known to you. Those are the moments I'm always striving for. Um, I get them out of my music, right? But as I was rambling about earlier, I think my problem is the polish. I have an issue where I could get the emotion, but I can't get the polish just right. Um, but that's part of being an artist is like, you know, it's your Moby Dick. And my Moby Dick is polish. Learning how to really have it as pristine as humanly possible so that it is exactly what I would want in my head. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so Charlie Infinite, episode one, it was like, there were like punctuations of inner... I, it was funny that in episode one, what really got my attention were these moments of not the dialogue and not even necessarily the character's thoughts, but when the narrator got really kind of like in the tone of that character, right? I, I Those moments where it was like a, there was personality definitely grabbed my attention more than all of the other stuff. Like even the action sequences, and there's a bunch of action that happens in that first episode, hearing it read out loud it did not didn't spark anything in me but when it got to the point where it was like there was one moment where um it was through Katiana and we're talking about Katiana and like she's looking for her victim and then we just very cheekily like flip the the the, the kind of like overview from her to this random victim of his or hers and it was just like like there was these weird moments where like it wasn't like I was breaking the fourth wall, but it was just more like I got a little cocky with my writing and a little like fuck you. And those were the things that really kind of grabbed me. And I found that really interesting. Um, episode two, I think the problem I had was that it's much better written, which is kind of an irony because it's the newer like it was something that I actually really did kind of re have to kind of build from the ground up. Whereas episode one was from something I'd written like 12 years ago. <laughs> um, but it was really fascinating because with episode two, the first part before we really dig deep on Rufus and Lorraine, um, the first part was kind of its own little thing. And it looked like it just felt like it just, it was missing a little bit of polish but other than that, it was like entertaining and was kind of following along. But what really triggered me and really picked up was the minute we got to um, Lorraine and Rufus, because that's when we open up the entire world and we realize that this isn't just like kind of some weird interdimensional thing, but it's like something even beyond that, something even grander. Like you start to realize that Rufus, you know, we never know about Rufus and what his other is, but Lorraine has her other Leanne. But Lorraine and Rufus are actually two entirely different people, 
right? And spoiler alert, they're the ones that start all of this, right? But we go back with them as they're actually, they are, because <laughs> I'm a writer, I'm writing it. Um, they're not actually in a relationship together, right? But in in the context of like the bar that they're at, right? They are in their like probably like 60s, 70s. Um, but when we get to who they really are, this kind of crazy kind of opening up situation, we find out that they're in their 30s and they're in an entirely not only different like reality, but they're in like a completely different concept of time. It's still just like our reality, but it's just different, right? And then we start to realize that they've been traveling through realities and time. And like we, we learn that Rufus, like he's been bouncing back and forth between different realities and universes and different timelines it, 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 that would be equal to like well over like 700 to a thousand years. Right. And <laughs> like, to me that definitely tripped me out. And I was like, Holy shit. Like it kind of went like, whoosh, right. And then like they get back to the bar and you realize that, well, so Lorraine is actually, her real name is Sarah and like Sarah in some other earlier incarnation of her being there like she actually is in a relationship with Richard and like there's this entire backstory and Richard's the bartender and kind of the guardian of that bar and like there's this whole like even telling the story gets me excited right and I was like okay you have to get through episode one and half of episode two to get to this part right and it's like ah. And then I'm going to work on episode three. And the whole idea of episode three is that it, it it's autobiographical, right? Actually, let's wait. Let's put a pin in episode three just yet, right? So so this is everything from episode one and two. Two definitely gets me really excited. I, I'm digging that. Episode one just feels kind of clunky and just doesn't... It feels like it's its own thing, right? And I have ideas on fixing this, but then that's when we get into episode three. So episode three is through the eyes of the actual main character, Charlie. And Charlie, spoiler alert, is basically based on my own life. I used to work at a hotel during the night audit shift. I had a hooker run over a guy with a car. <laughs> like... I've lived a life and Charlie is inhabiting that life. And in episode three, we focus on three um, very traumatic things that happen in my life. And, and what, what Charlie experiences is that he starts to replay these three traumatic events. And because he's the fail safe, which they reveal in episode two it's so traumatic that he literally bends space time to create an alternate reality to exist in. Right. And sorry, I'm moving up cause I'm just pulling it up cause I'll, I'll forget. Right. <laughs> but it was crazy because it's like the three things that happened to me, the, the first one that I fixate on is that, when I was when I was a little kid, like super little, I was probably like six. Or no, I was probably like more like eight or nine. 
when I was little, I was going through a lot. My mother issues, right, and all that. But she used to lock the bedroom door from the outside when I was a little kid because I shared a, I shared bunk beds with my younger brother, Trevor. Trevor was on the lower bunk. I was on the top bunk. But Trevor would, like, sleepwalk. And so he would wake up at, like, 3 in the morning or sleepwalk at, like, 2 or 3 in the morning and pull shit out of the refrigerator, cause a complete mess. And then, like, like there was one story where, like, he pulled a six-pack out, put it on the floor <laughs> in the living room and was, like, watching TV or something. Like, there was... So, of course, my mother and in her infinite wisdom, her response to that was locking us from the outside so we couldn't get out. Well, on top of that, I have a fear of the dark. I used to have a fear of the dark where I was constantly thinking that monsters were going to get me. And not without cause because I would hallucinate when I was little. Like I would always see demons and monsters and like all kinds of scary shit when I was trying to sleep. Like it would always be some shadowy figure. So I would have to pee. And then I would like have to race to the door to get to the bathroom to turn on the light before the monsters got me. Um, but my mom locked the door from the outside. So I couldn't pee and I was all freaked out. So I would pee on the wall. I'd pee on the wall of my, my bedroom. And the irony to that was that went on for a long time, but no one ever noticed or said anything. I can't even remember if it smelled or not, but ultimately what happened was my mother had already known and found out but she was basically camping outside my bedroom waiting to catch me now mind you I'm like a little kid and when she finally caught me she like went completely bananas um it was very abusive experience even because remember this is like 30 eight, you know, sorry, this is like 32 some odd years ago. I still remember it. Um, and she threw a diaper on me <laughs> and was like, if you can't learn how to go to the bathroom, blah, 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 blah. And of course the irony is the door is being locked from the outside. So what was I supposed to do in the first place? So that's the first story I talk about in episode three. Um, the second story, traumatic event that I detail is one where I used to be in a relationship with this guy that everyone used to call the evil midget. <laughs> and he's just like super, super abusive motherfucker, but he would play mind games with you. So you'd be in this abusive relationship. You knew it was bad for you, but there was just this like crazy codependency that was kind of just built into it. I, and I, I definitely relate it to my mother. Like definitely feel like he had the ability to inhabit her to a T. And yeah, I mean, he was just an evil little fucker. And there's just, there's one incident where I was sleeping and I don't know what happened. Like, I think he just like, he must have done drugs or something, but he freaked out and like was on top of me and like he spit on my face and threw threw me off the bed and tried to beat the shit out of me and he kept going on about how ugly I was and how he wanted to be able to just go out and fuck whoever he wanted and and it wasn't fair that he got stuck with me because I was so horrible and like 
And at one point, I finally kind of like pinned myself against a wall and like this big house plant. And he came back out of the kitchen with a knife. Um, and he ended up like slicing open my thigh in in the fight and then I just remember as I was like starting to like black out like he's like all of a sudden realizes that what he did and he's like all apologetic he's like I'm so sorry baby and he's like being all gentle and that relationship was always like that it was like he would massively fuck up from like giving me gonorrhea to like getting upset and punching me but it was always like right afterward he would be like the most amazing sensitive like you know what I mean like it's fucked up anyway that was the second one and then the third traumatic event was when I had moved to San Diego I I'd fled in Charleston South Carolina because I had a coke addiction and I way in over my head I was like 20 um I weighed 105 pounds um and I moved to San Diego because my ex, who was my very first boyfriend at the time, grew up in San Diego and I'd visited him, visited San Diego with him once. And I thought it was really cool. And that's literally why I moved to San Diego. Um, and I was homeless and it was rough. And there was one point where I had like, I used to hang out with all the guys at this gay bar. Cause I always, in my head, always thought I was like a 60 year old guy <laughs> I never really thought of myself, especially at the time, as like a 105 pound, 20 year old kid, right? Like, I never really looked at myself as the chicken. I always thought of myself as the hawk. And I got in with a crowd that were all a bunch of druggies, bartenders. They were all like in their 50s. And they kept telling me about how they would have these parties where they would get all the strippers from the nightclub riches to come over after hours at the number one on fifth bar. And then we, they would like all do a bunch of drugs on the bar and it'd be a huge party and be so much fun. And like, I was like, whatever. Okay. That sounds like a blast. I want in. Yeah. No, whatever. I was totally game. So one night finally happened where like it all worked out. And so I closed down the bar with them and I was at the bar, it was like three or four in the morning and I remember drugs came out and I, of course, cause I'm 20, I'm stupid. And I'm like, ah, well, a little bit won't kill me. And I black out and I wake up and I'm on this bed with this like 55, 60 year old sweaty bear, disgusting guy that he was the bartender of number one on fifth. I think he got fired years later for shady shit, but he's like naked and he's, I'm naked and he's just like dry humping me. Like he's just dry humping me. And I just remember this hairy like chest and his sweat and dropping on my face. And next to me was this like blonde blue, you know, blue eyed blonde hair, just like Adonis of a twink. And he also had like a 60 year old man, just like, dry humping him and the whole point was these two guys were so fucked up they couldn't actually get it up so they had to set well they had roofied me and so that's how it was there but because they couldn't get erections they basically just spent all this time just dry humping me and it had taken so long that i actually came to like i woke up and 
so they basically tried to cajole the twink to try to calm me down so I would just stay there. And that's when I realized it was all a fucking trap. Like, I was set up. And I literally just, like, laid there and let him continue to dry hump me for what felt like hours. And I just laid there and I just patiently waited for it to, like, to just see that there was daylight or see that it was, like, morning. And I just, I grabbed my shit and I went. Those are my three stories in episode three. This is what makes Charlie completely bend space-time to create this different reality. Here's the twist. It's the reality that is in episode one and two. And the twist is, is this is not the right reality. And because what I do is I basically take all those terrible traumatic events and everything gets twisted so that I'm no longer gay, I'm straight. I no longer had an abusive mother. I had an incredibly loving family, right? Like I've completely augmented and twisted. But the irony is that's the Charlie in episode one and two. But he's still constantly talking about how miserable he is. Like he's still like always fixated on how his life is going nowhere. He's cheating on Leah. The person behind all of this is Rufus. Basically, Charlie is what they call the failsafe, right? He's the one that can completely fold and bend reality unconsciously to his whim, right? And everyone in that reality changes with it. So no one knows that he's doing it. He doesn't even know he's doing it. It just happens. And the difference is Rufus and all these other people in the Institute are from a different reality. So... Because they're from a different reality, they actually do see what the changes are. They do experience this shift that happens. This is why the Institute was founded. It's supposed to keep the fail-safes from doing this so that they can bounce back and forth between different realities without all of the chutzpah, right? It's hard to bounce back and from a different reality if a fail-safe is constantly changing that reality, right? And so Rufus, though, Rufus is the one that's actually messing with Charlie. And basically, Rufus, at the end of episode two, right, f- realizes he's not in the right reality, that this is all fucked up. And so he goes back to Charlie and basically pushes Charlie back into the traumatic reality he was running away from. And that's the whole point of episode three is we get this kind of like what the fuck moment where everything changes, right? So basically Rufus kicks him back into the dungeon, so to speak, and is like, no, 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 no. You were gay. You did experience these things. Like, no, you got to live through it, right? That's why in episode two, Rufus has that whole line about, you know, he had to put Charlie through Helen back and that to dye, you know, to dye clothing with the, you know, to have clothing with the most opulent colors requires multiple washes, right? Like when you dye a fabric, it isn't the first time. You have to dye it multiple times to get the most opulent of colors. And that's literally what Rufus is doing to Charlie is he's just like, fucking with the situation to keep that one specific reality there. And and that's everything Rufus has been doing. Now, why is he doing it, right? And is it morally wrong or right, right? Like, you know, Charlie had a choice. 
And I think that I try to kind of tweak the morality part of it because it's like, I also try to show in episode one and two that Charlie still has his karma. He still has his being. And because of that, you know, this new reality that's given him everything he could ever want in life, he's still miserable. So I do kind of play this like, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay to be gay. Um, but yeah, and that's episode three, right? So my concern, right? I'm going to take a break. I'm going to take a quick break because this is then we're in the third act. And so it's okay. It's okay. I need more pot. And I'm back. But I think I have to kind of hurry because my boyfriend just got back from his run. He's in the shower. And I really don't want him coming into the bedroom as I'm recording this and then making fun of me. So there's that. Um, oh, yeah, I think I'm going to wrap this up. I, so you see my dilemma. Episode three is incredibly exciting, but it relies on episode one and two but I feel like it's going to create a brand new kind of entire everything. And I feel like I need to take episode one, two, and three and somehow fold them into each other so that it's instead of just all of a sudden like this, like it feels like the buildup, it just, it's, it takes too long to, to at least get, where you get the momentum going, right? The momentum doesn't pick up until like after like episode three. And at that point, I feel like you've already lost me. And that's the important part, right? You've lost me. I'm the one that gets bored by this. So the goal is right episode three, I'm almost done, but I gotta like re-go back through episode three, write it out, still do the read through like I did with episode one and two. So I'm still working on the score too. There's a lot of things I have to do for episode three. <laughs> still do it for real. And then once I've done that, then have the entire body of work and use it more like a quilt and repatch it together to kind of create this one episode thing, right? It might still be the same length. I just rearrange the order, but the hope is to write it in the same way that the worlds themselves are changing and augmenting. Um, so it's almost like episode one still happens, but so like I would see like episode one and two still are chronologically the same, but I take episode three and kind of weave around through episode one and two so that it all kind of culminates to the same kind of climax point so that at the time that we re reveal and talk about charlie being the fail safe it helps explain what charlie's going through as he's going through these traumatic events and running into rufus who keeps pushing him back um yeah, and now you can see why this podcast is purely for myself. Because, <laughs> yeah, now I'm with it. So that's where I'm at. I have to wrap this up before my boyfriend finishes the shower. And thank you all for listening. TC Crosser stuff. All right, whatever. I'm stoned. Have a good one. Talk to you later. Bye.